0: 1 Kings 18 really stood out for me when Elijah went after the prophets of Baal and called down fire from heaven. All those type of passages; these are when the first time you read them is when it's really really fun, and then the, then the first time you read it with true intention of trying to learn what it means and what God's wanting to say to you, then it becomes also very uh, uh, special, you know, and so. 1 Kings 17, you know, you could call this a lot of things, the preacher killer, the preacher killer. But, you know, there's, th- there's three things here mentioned multiple times. It's the, the prophet, the ass, and the lion, right? So let's look at this, 1 Kings 13, verse 1, And behold, there came a man of God out of Judah, by the word of the Lord unto Bethel, or Bethel, and Jeroboam stood by the altar to burn incense. And he cried against the altar in the word of the Lord and said, "Oh, says your crying, altar, altar, thus saith the Lord. Behold, a child shall be born under the house of David, Josiah by name, and upon thee shall he offer the priests of the high places that burn incense upon thee, and men's bones shall be burnt upon thee. And he gave a sign the same day, saying, This is the sign which the Lord has spoken. Behold, the altar shall be rent, and the ashes that are upon it shall be poured out. We got to see, I told y'all we're getting visitors tonight. And it came to pass, when King Jeroboam heard the saying of the man of God, which had cried against the altar in Bethel, that he put forth his hand from the altar, saying, Lay hold on him. And his hand, which he had put forth against him, dried up so that he could not pull it in again to him. The altar also was rent, the ashes poured out from the altar, according to the sign which the man of God had given by the word of the Lord. And the king answered and said unto the man of God, Entreat now the face of the Lord thy God, and pray for me, that my hand may be restored me again. And the man of God besought the Lord, and the king's hand was restored him again. It became as it was before. And I'm, I'm going to stop right there. But how amazing of a story this is. Because, so you know where Bethel is. Bethel is what Jacob named this place when he first met God. He called it the house of God. The house Bethel, which is God, Elohim. The house of Elohim. So this was a very special place. Jeroboam was an apostate king who decided to change the ways of the Old Testament way of religion and changed it and made people who were priests who weren't priests. They weren't of the lineage of Aaron or Levi. And so he was putting in imposters to be priests. They built an idol out of gold, a calf, and they they worshipped it in the place where it was supposed to be the house of God. God sent a man up there. We don't know his name. God sent a man of God out of Judah, out of the South, to go up and cry against this. So this man of God goes up and he, and he does exactly what God tells him to do. Goes to the North. This is a whole other country. He's, he's left his country and he's left his comfort to, and risking his life to go to the place of a king who hates the people of the South and he preaches to him. But he didn't really preach to him. He preached to the altar big brazen altar there and they they had kind of uh copied the one in Jerusalem is what they'd done made out of brass well he preached against this altar he said altar altar God's going to send a man to you a young man named Josiah and he's going to do he's going to destroy this place and not only that says he's going to sacrifice the priests on the altar that's amazing And then he's going to burn their bones upon this very altar. And it's going to happen. He says, this is sure as I'm standing here, God said this would happen. And this young man will come. And once again, Josiah had to come from the south to do this. And he said, here's the sign that this is the truth. The altar is going to be split in half and a huge crack and it rent and it broke in half. All the ashes poured out on the ground, which was a desecration of the altar. The ashes could not hit the ground when they sacrificed. So it was a complete disruption of this false religion going on up in the north. Now, I'll tell you what's amazing. This child that was going to be born, Josiah, he was born 350 years after this. 350 years. That's longer than America's been in existence. So that's that's longer than if George Washington preached that something was going to happen today, and even gave the name of the man. That's just unheard of. The only other time it happened was when they prophesied the birth of Christ and gave his name hundreds of years before he was born. So this, But this proves that God is God. And what's amazing is the, the king said, okay, I'm going to repent You've, proven, you've, you've, you've convinced me that I'm in the wrong. We're going to all seek the God of Israel once again, Jehovah, and we will go back to calling it Bethel, and we'll be doing it right. Now, he didn't do that, did he? Instead, he got offended. He got very upset, just like any king would do. You know what he'd do? Lay hold on that man right now. He's not leaving the place. He's either going to prison or he's dying for what he just said. Because, you know, Jeroboam had this uh, little kingdom set up that he liked because it was all based on his thoughts and ideology. Well, when he reached out his hand and preached, what happened? He couldn't pull that hand back. That hand stuck out. Did y'all catch that when you read it? That hand stayed extended. And his his arm tried to actually bend his right arm. I guarantee it was his right arm, because the Antichrist's right arm will go bad. Amen. That's one of the reasons. No, yeah, he did, because he's a lefty. Did you know the Antichrist is a lefty? He couldn't do it. He's stuck, and it's and it's hurting. And all he can do is realize I've done something wrong here. So what would he do? He cries out to the man of God for help. The one that he was going to hurt, he's crying out for help from him. Now, what, here's a side principle here. Once you stick out your arm to hurt a preacher or to harm a man of God in some way, by mouth, an intention to hurt him, whatever it might be, not talking about disagreeing with him, talking about trying to hurt him in some way trying to do him any type of harm, you can never pull it back. That's the principle here. You need a miracle from God to get you out of that. Because it says, touch not mine anointed and do my prophets no harm. think like that's Psalm 78. You do not, you know, people I know, they're, they, they, they're scared to death to speak against a preacher. Even when he deserves it. Even when he might possibly be in the wrong, you still refrain from trying to hurt A man of God. And what we find, this man of God had flaws. He wasn't perfect, but he was a man of God. And God picked him out of all the people to go north and do what he did. He preached to this altar. He took on a king. Amazing what he did. Now, let's see what it says here. You know, the king, so relieved, he gets his arm back. He's so relieved that God had mercy. He's scared of that man now. Now he knows beyond any doubt this is a man of God. I can't go against him. So what does he do? Let's see here, verse 8. Well, let's look at 7. He says, The king said unto the man of God, Come home with me and refresh thyself and I will give thee a reward. There you go. He went from wanting to put him in prison. Now he's going to give him a big reward. And he's basically saying, Refresh, come home. I want to wine and dine with you and fellowship then I'm going to give you a big reward. In verse 8, the man of God said unto the king, If thou wilt give me half of thine house, (laughs) I will not go in with thee. Neither will I eat bread or drink water in this place. For so it was charged me by the word of the Lord, saying, Eat no bread and drink no water, nor turn again by the same way that thou camest. So he went another way, and returned not by the way that that he came, to Bethel. So this is interesting. He's keeping the word of God. I mean, he's, he's staying true. God had told him, when you, when you go north, and you, get, you do your job, you preach against that altar, you turn around, you go home, but don't go home the way you came. Go a different route. And he also said, don't go, don't go eat with anyone. Don't stop and drink. Don't stop and do anything. You come back to where I told you to go. So he's doing real good up to this point. Interesting, his name's not even mentioned. There's no name for this man. He's a famous man because later on in the Bible, his bones are found by another prophet. You can look that up in 2 Kings. But it's interesting because this man was doing very good till somebody came into his life and steered him wrong. Did y'all get that when you read it? All right, so uh, some of his stipulations that God puts on people seem a little strange. Sometimes we don't understand them, but it's pretty simple. I mean, God gave him simple commands. You go up there, you preach against that altar. He didn't tell him to preach against the king, and he really never did. He preached against the altar. Then you go home a different way. Don't stop and eat, drink, talk to anybody. Just mind your own business and come home back to where you belong. And he tried his best to do that. Now, meanwhile, there's another setting. I'll, just, I'll say some of this. Now, you know how it is. There's an old prophet sitting in Samaria. He thinks his days are done. He's sitting at home. His sons, they've been there. His sons saw this happen, this great preaching and what happened to the king and the splitting of the altar and the prophecy of, Jer- of uh, Josiah coming, he saw this and they ran home to tell dad, dad, you wouldn't believe what we saw today. It's what you get for staying home. Should have been there, dad. You'd have had to have been there. You ever told anybody that one? You just would have had to have been there. This man of God came and put that king in his place, Dad. And he preached against the altar, the false altar, and it split in half. What a miracle took place. What did the man say when he heard it? Ah! Oh, I don't believe that story. See, they'd seen it with their own eyes. What does he say? Saddle me the ass. Saddle me the ass. He says, That'd be like, get gas in my car. I'm going to see this guy. Saddle me. The ass. Now, let's keep talking about this. This is interesting. He goes to find the preacher, this man of God. So you have one man who's a prophet, but he's retired, basically, whatever that means, preaching to a younger man of God. Or not preaching, he's going to see a younger man of God who's still active, is what he's doing. And so he's he's a little envious. He wants in on the action. He's been sitting at home. He goes to him and he says, I heard what you did. This is so amazing. I've been hoping somebody would do this. I've been hoping somebody would set Jeroboam straight. I've been looking for this for years and you did it. I want you to come home and eat with me. He says, I'm not going home with you. God told me not to go home with you. God told me to keep going south. God told me don't eat or drink till I get home. He said, but you don't understand. I was sitting in my table. The Lord came to me and spoke to me. The Lord told me to come tell you to come home and eat with me. He didn't, he did, you know, the sad thing is, man of God one didn't do right because he listened to man of God two. Man of God two lied to him to get his own way. And man, people do that all the time. He didn't, he did not stick with what God told him expressly, specifically to do. He heard this man say, God spoke to me about you. God's telling me to tell you what to do. Very dangerous to allow another person tell you what. If if somebody comes to you and says, you know, God told me to tell you to do this. Now I'm not saying they won't do that. He might do that to ignorant people, but not to a man of God, never. Now, if that man of God went to him and asked him for advice, and he said, I think you ought to do this. That's a whole nother story when you're seeking advice. He gave unsought advice. This fella, he deceived him. He went home with him. So let's let's pick up the story here in verse 19. So he went back with him, broke. He was doing so well. He's like the hero. But he went back with him and did eat bread in his house and drank water. Man, all they're doing is eating bread and drinking water. They weren't having a feast. They weren't having Hawaiian punch with the spices. No, they were drinking water. How sad this is. And then what does he say? In verse 20, and it came to pass as they sat at the table the word of the Lord came unto the prophet that brought him back. That's, that's number, man number two. He doesn't have a name either. And he cried unto the man of God that came from Judah saying, thus saith the Lord, Forasmuch as as thou hast disobeyed the mouth of the Lord and hast not kept the commandment which the Lord thy God commanded thee, but camest back and hast eaten bread and drunk water in this place. You say, that's not that bad of a crime. Well, God told him not to do it. Right. And he did it. He said, he told you, eat no bread and drink no water. Thy carcass shall not come into the sepulchre of thy father's. He's not ever going to make it home. They're not even. Basically, what he's saying is not even going to ship the body back with you, you know, back to home. It's so sad. And this man knew I listened to an imposter. But how strange is it that God finally came to this man and told him the truth. So here's a man who told a lie. Now he's getting the word of the truth to preach to the original man of God. You know, and what happens? Well, let's just read it. Verse 20. Oh, we read that. Look down in verse 23. It came to pass after he had eaten. He kept eating. He said, it's over. He said, I guess I'll just finish my last meal After he had eaten bread and after he had drunk, that he saddled for him the ass to wit for the prophet whom he had brought back. He saddled it for him. He had his children saddling his, and he saddled the other man's. And when he was gone, a lion met him by the way and slew him. And his carcass was cast in the way, and the ass stood by, and the lion also stood by the ass." Tragic, tragic ending for such a great man. You know, you think about it. He did such an amazing, great deed. But because he disobeyed the Lord, it's all over for there. Now, this is so amazing because look what it says in verse 25. Behold, men passed by. They saw the carcass cast in the way and the lion standing by the carcass. That's such an amazing statement to me. The lion's just standing there. And they came and told it in the city. So it's going to become very, very, very popular. Where the old prophet dwelt. And when the prophet that brought him back from the way heard thereof, he said, it is the man of God who was disobedient unto the word of the Lord. He was so obedient up to one point, And then he became disobedient at the lies of another cost him his life. He said, therefore, the Lord hath delivered him unto the line which had torn him and slain him according to the word of the Lord, which he spake unto him. And he spake to his sons, the famous lion, saddle me the ass, get me ready. They saddled him and he went and found the carcass cast in the way in the ass standing and the lion standing by the carcass. The lion had not eaten the carcass nor torn the ass. Mm. The prophet took up the carcass of the man of God and laid it upon the ass and brought it back. And the old prophet came to the city to mourn and to bury him. He's going to be buried in a distant city. And he laid his carcass in his own grave. And they mourned over him, saying, Alas, my brother. And it came to pass after he had buried him that he spake to his son, saying, When I am dead, then bury me in the sepulcher where the man of God is buried and lay my bones beside his bones. For the saying which he cried by the word of the Lord against the altar in Bethel and against all the houses of the high places which are in the cities of Samaria shall surely come to pass. Now this is a tragic story. And a lot of it, it makes you wonder, how could these things be? So you try to learn principles from the story. you know. And so what can we learn from this? So what does the donkey represent? The donkey, the donkey represents humility, mm-hmm. obedience. Doesn't, you know, the, the, the donkey never argues back, defends itself. It just does what it's made to do. To wear a mule, you know, we always call it a stubborn ornery. Or, ornery, that ornery old mule, that ornery thing. Always fighting back. You know, a mule's known for not doing right. It's a person who rejects and rebels against God. But the but the donkey, she just does what she's made to do. Duty, consistency, continuance, amazing. Uh, then donkeys can reproduce. Mules cannot. It's really something. So, uh, what's the prophet represent? Well, in this case, the minister, the preacher, the man of God. So whoever would call themselves, you know, basically it's anyone that bring a message for God to someone else. He represents this man. And they're vulnerable and they're a target. Always are. Very vulnerable and a target. What does a lion represent? This one's easy. The enemy. Yeah, the devil. The old adversary, the devil, is a roaring lion. Dangerous. It represents the predator. Didn't it say in 1 Peter 5, 8, the, the devil walketh about seeking whom he may devour. He saw a good chance here in this prophet, this preacher, this man of God. Preachers are very susceptible to danger. I almost think more so than the average person, especially their children. Now think about this. First Timothy 3, 6 says he should not be a novice. We'll look at this in a minute. Lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. He must have a good report of them which are without, lest he fall into reproach in the snare of the devil. So what I want to talk about is who can the lion devour? Interesting because this is so simple. But who can the lion devour? And then who can he not? This is what I want to focus on. So what who can the Based on what we just read, who can the lion get and devour? The disobedient. Those that disobey. Those who disobey the will of God and God's express word, they know what they're supposed to do and they disobey. And this is men or women that obey. But then they come to a point in their life where they disobey. This man had a commission of do's and don'ts. This is what you're going to do. This is what you cannot do. Don't get out of that bound. Well, he did. At the deception of another. So whether it's outright deception or just outright disobedience, you still stay true to what God told you to do. Even you say, but he was lied to. God didn't lie to him. The other man did. Right? Number one, the disobedient. Here, we're in 1 Kings. Turn to chapter 20. 1 Kings 20. 1 Kings 20 and verse 35. Another very interesting story. These sons of the prophets like to... They're rough on each other. They still are, by the way. They're rough. The preacher's rough. And... They're always intermingled with a lion. I'll show it to you here in just a little bit. Here's a story about a battle taking place, and they got a captive, a very, a very notable, uh, what do you call it, notable captive, and they want to keep him in the midst of the battle, and they they gave him to a man. Your your whole job is to make sure this guy doesn't get away. Well, he got busy. He got distracted. He was busy here and there and he looked around and that guy disappeared. His only duty was to keep that guy from getting away and he let it slip. And boy, were they mad at him for that because they wanted this man captive. And so uh, there's there's an analogy here of what happens when you don't do what you're told. So look at verse 35. And a certain man of the sons of the prophets said unto his neighbor... Now, how do you know for sure in the word of the Lord? Because he's a prophet. He tells him in the, in the word of the Lord, smite me. Yeah, our animals are fun tonight. Smite me, I pray thee. The man refused to smite him. He's basically saying, I want you to hit me. I want you to hit me hard. Hit me. What? It, hit me and hurt me. He says, I can't do that. I will not do that. Not hurting you. It makes no sense to me. Why would you tell me such a thing like that? Well, what he says in verse thirty-six. Then he said unto him, Because thou hast not obeyed the voice of the Lord, behold, as soon as thou art departed from me, what's going to happen? A lion shall slay thee. And as soon as he's departed from him, a lion found him and slew him. Just like that, same type of thing. Could have been the same lion for all we know. I doubt it, but he got him disobeying the word. He said, God told me to tell you to smite me and hurt me. So then he found another man, verse 37. He said, smite me. I pray thee, this guy's going to obey God. So the man smote him so that in smiting, he wounded him. He hit him so hard, he hurt him bad. He wounded him hard. He did right. He said, do this. Now, he did that because he wanted to look wounded because he's going to talk to the king and give a a message from God to the king. I'm not going to talk about what he said there because that's not the the message. But it all has to do with the obeying of the word of God will keep you from the lion. Disobeying the word of God, you are a vulnerable target. God may let the lion get the best of you. Well, we say they ate my lunch. What does that really mean? They got the best of me. And and what's weird about 1 Kings 13 is the lion just killed him. He didn't eat him for lunch. He just got him. So it's important to obey the word of God and do what God tells you to do even if you don't fully understand it. Notice, you know, these are specific tasks for different individuals. He didn't tell everybody in the army, hey, would you hit me? He told one guy. And that guy didn't do it. And he lost his life over it. So it's disobeying God's will for you. I'm thinking about the lion, you know, and you can, you can read all the verses in this that tell you. A lion roars when he's hungry. You'd think he'd be real stealthy and be quiet. He's mad and he's in the mood. He's a roaring lion seeking whom he can devour. Right? He's, he, he, he might be in his den He's just roaring, putting the the fear into into everybody. He's roaring for prey because he doesn't have it. And then when he makes the kill, he stands over his prey and he roars over his prey. Now that's to say, this is my prey. Keep your hands off. You're not getting, go, Now it's more than go get your own. He's defending his kill. Cats are good at this. All cats of all sizes and ages They will do this. The pride Satan has when he brings a man of God down. You know, the Bible says that it's one of the greatest things, the tragedies, when a righteous man falls down before the wicked. It's like a corrupt spring and a troubled fountain. Nobody's going to go drink out of that fountain again. It's poisoned. He might have been great for many years. He did something wrong, disobeyed the word of the Lord, the enemy got the best of this man and nobody will go to him anymore he lost his ministry he loses his reputation it's really really sad so turn over to 1 Timothy chapter 3 1 Timothy 3 now what we're talking about are those that the lion can devour now and this is specifically those in ministry Specifically, those uh, that are men. So number one, the disobedient. Just outright disobey the word of the Lord. You're asking for it. Now, the second one's found. 1 Timothy 3, look at verse 6. He can't be a novice. Lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. A novice is what's called a neothite. They're new to the position. They are young. They are inexperienced. They are, actually it means a newly planted. You know, plants that are newly, freshly planted, they're real easy to pull up. They don't have the roots yet, right? And you're not to lay hands on things like people like that that are new too soon. The Bible says lay hands on no man suddenly till they prove themselves. You never let a young man who hasn't been saved long run a church. He will ruin a church. Guarantee. But not only that, he'll ruin himself. And why? What did it say? He gets lifted up with pride. He gets so full of pride. He will get you. The novice has to be very, you know, the novice is very vulnerable. Uh, He got put in a place too quick and he can't handle it. And, you know, the young, the inexperienced, the untested, you know, you need the tested ones who stuck it out. It's very dangerous to have a young, you know, I used to think about that. It's very dangerous to have a young man as a preacher. Uh, you, You know why? The young ones are those that aren't very smart. They're not, they're not, when they go to the water hole for a drink, they just go diving right in. They don't look around and make their way to the water hole to get the drink. They don't know that the crocodile is right there waiting under the water for them, or in the bushes over here's the lion, or the leopard's in the tree above them. They just, they just go get their drink. The wise ones are in the back. Very wary. They'd rather live than get a drink. They'd rather live than get a a bite to eat. So, who can the lion devour? Novices. So, you got to be very careful when you're young to stay obedient no matter what the cost. All right? And then the next one is the proud. The proud. You know what it says? They get lifted up with pride and they fall into the condemnation of the devil. You know what will is people get to thinking too much of themselves and they get too full of themselves and they have pride. And like this man, I bet you this, this man of God, he was uh, feeling good about what he did. God used me. I put that king in his place. I did it, boy. I'm going to go home. They're gonna, I'm going to be known. Even though God didn't give us his name, and it got him. The pride swelled up. A lot of times the proud want more than what God wants to give them. And they swell up, and they try to ascend, and God takes them down. Isn't that what happened? That's why it says the condemnation of the devil. That's what, that's what condemned Satan. Pride condemned Satan. He got lifted up with pride. He wanted more than God wanted to give, and it cost him everything cost him his eternity. So number three would be the proud. Number four is the hypocrite. Oh boy. The hypocrite says, Moreover, he must have a good report of them that are without, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. So the hypocrite has a tarnished reputation. People out and about and out in the neighborhoods and the streets in the cities know him and that guy's a fake. He claims to be this, but we know what he really is. He's not living in private life what he lives in public life. He doesn't live what he preaches. Nobody wants to hear a preacher who they don't think he lives what he preaches. They run from it. They hide from it. And it costs him, people see in him, what they really ought not see. So his profession and his public behavior and in his Private behavior, they don't match. Doesn't live what he preaches. So he's snared and he's ineffective and people don't hear it. He's easy prey. He's easy prey. You know, if people don't see the preacher as a true man, that he's just authentic, that he's genuine, that when he preaches the Bible, he at least tries to live it and he's going to try to obey the things that come out of his pulpit. If they don't, they're going to fall. And what does it say? It says the reproach and the snare of the devil. The snare, the devil guide him. He's a hypocrite. All right? Uh, then next, the careless. The careless, which I brought this up. Those who don't, they're not vigilant. They're not sober. 1 Peter 5, 8. they adversary of the devil, like a roaring lion. We'll get them. What is it? They're casual. They're not watchful. They're forgetting that they are a target. They're forgetting that the enemy's out there to get them. And uh, they don't take their their Christianity seriously. And they will get eaten by the lion pretty quick. Now, turn over to 2 Corinthians 2. This will keep you all awake. I have to finish this because I put some time into this. I won't be much longer. I won't be much longer. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. There's one other way the devil will get you. The lion will devour you if you fall prey to this one. And I've mentioned this before. 2 Corinthians 2 verse 10. To whom you forgive anything, I forgive also. For if I forgave anything to whom I forgave it for your sakes, forgave I it in the person of Christ. He's talking about forgiving people. Paul's even saying, I'll forgive people with you. I don't even know what they did wrong, but I'll forgive for the sake of Christ. Lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we're not ignorant of his devices. So the unforgiving. If you refuse to forgive people, you're prime prey for Satan to get you. Prime. Grudges, bitternesses, judgmental attitudes. You're going to go down hard. You can't, especially Christians. You cannot hold on to grudges and unforgiving spirit in Christianity and not get the devil get the best. It says he'll get the advantage over us. We do not want him to get the advantage and the enemy will win every single time. Now, wait a minute. This is what I want to say. Here's what that old prophet saw. And everybody in town saw it. When they went to see this, you know, it'd be like, hey, did you go see so-and-so's yard for their Christmas lights? No, that's not what we're talking about, though. Hey, did you go? Yeah, I like the college. Yeah. I haven't gone in there yet. Didn't say I would or won't. But uh, he goes over to see it, and what does he see? It's an amazing sight. He sees a carcass lying there on the ground. And he sees a lion standing by it. And next to the lion, he sees a donkey standing there. It's so strange. You know, the, the, a lion's a killer. A lion is a natural born killer. If they're going to kill this one and that one stands around, they're killing that one too. Just for the sake of murder. They are devourers. The, the thief, he comes to kill, still kill and destroy. He just wants to kill. Because it, it's in his heart. To bring other people down. What happened with this? Why did the lion not kill the ass? That's the question. He stood there for who knows how long. God was given a vivid picture of some amazing things. He didn't kill the donkey. He didn't eat the prey. He just killed. He did not. He killed for sport. He killed for pride. He killed for the sake of killing. So let me real quickly give you those he cannot devour. So here you have the ones that he does devour, the disobedience, the main one. He got the disobedient preacher. Who can he not devour? You want to know what it is? The obedient. That donkey did what they always do. Remember the donkey that Jesus rode on? It had never been ridden before in its life, but it knew what it was made for. The son of God's going to ride on me into Jerusalem. Remember the story of Balaam and he rode his donkey. The old prophet Balaam rode his donkey. That donkey served him faithfully its whole life. Took him everywhere he wanted to go. That's what donkeys do. Even when the devil or when God tried to kill him because he was a disobedient, that donkey saved his life. We know that story. It's an amazing story. The, the obedient, if you stay in your place and you stay humble and you just do what God tells you and don't rebel, the devil can't get you. Isn't that simple? Tell you what, if you if you do what you're supposed to do in life and then you do, you stay in your place, you feel God's, this is amazing. Not only can does the devil, the lion can't get you, he really doesn't want to. He wants the disobedient. He wants easy prey, not the one he has to fight. That donkey had a guard of God on him. God would not allow that obedient, serving donkey to die. What an amazing story that is. So, number one, the obedient. Number two, the humble. Goes along with pride, the opposite of pride. Just a servant. I will serve. That's what I do. I don't need to be lifted up and be something I'm not. I don't need what God doesn't want me to have. I will serve and be what God wants me to be. I will stay in my place. Just be a servant to the master. You know, sometimes we think about, you know, we're not a king yet. God promised we would be someday. We're not a king. We're a worker and a servant. We're a donkey. Let God get on you and ride you to wherever he wants to take you and serve and become an amazing servant. The third one is the true one. Not a hypocrite, somebody that's true, inside and out, you know what they are. You know, they have the same, you know, wouldn't it be weird if you, if you had a, an apple and you bit, it looked like an apple, you bit into it and it was a pear. Or you had an orange And you pull off the uh, skin and it's a rotten, what? Cucumber. There's something wrong there. That's a lot of people. The inside and the out don't mix. They put on a front. They're not going to make it. And then the, the, the fourth one that cannot be eaten by the lion is the forgiving. This is really good. If you learn to be a good forgiver, Satan can't get you. He can't get the advantage over you. How does he get the advantage? By keeping us bitter and keeping us refusing to obey. Yeah, to obey by, you know, if you can become really expert at forgiveness, God will do a lot. And then the last one is, y'all like that, the vigilant. The vigilant. Those that stay awake and alert, they don't forget. They are a watcher. Now I've been in the deer business a long time and I watch deer. There's real intelligent deer out there that never get killed. They let the dummies go out first. They let the ones that the, the novice, the proud, the unwatchful. I watch it all the time. The, it's the same ones. The foolish young guy, the the, the one-yearling buck with just horns about that long. He runs out there to and gets and shows himself. And then the others are in the, you know, I don't think they're doing it on purpose. They're just smart. I'm not going to be prey to the lion. Let him, if he's that dumb. But sadly, that guy's the preacher. You know, preachers sometimes become, they think they're invincible. <clears throat> a, suspe- a circumspect walker. So what are we saying here? The devil cannot eat an obedient servant of the Lord. He doesn't even want to. He'd rather go get somebody that's easy, easy prey. All right. Prime example. Daniel in the lion's den. Right? He was so obedient, those lions couldn't touch him. Even when it was against his life. God, he said, he said, the Lord would not allow those lions to touch me during the night. Boy, but you know what? The next day, they threw the disobedient ones in there and the lions had a feast. All about obedience. He was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. I got to give you one more verse. 2 Timothy 4. 2 Timothy 4. If you can just stay faithful, and God knows our heart. God saw probably that man of god number 1 was getting proud and he was getting lax he wasn't staying vigilant and god didn't make him do this but god allowed it to happen cuz he disobeyed so here's apostle paul at the end of his life and he's you know he, he says all of asia turned away from me i'm all alone but look what it says in verse uh, let's just look at 16 it says that my this is when This is so amazing story. When the Apostle Paul was about to get his head cut off, and they took him, actually it happened three times. They were going to behead him, the Roman senator, the senator and the emperor. Caesar was. They would would send him out like at the uh, Colosseum to get the lions to eat you in the Colosseum. Well, everybody watches, but he was just going to get beheaded. He died by beheading. And they sent him out. They would always give them an opportunity to what, like the Catholics do, recant the faith. Turn on everything you said you believed. If you're willing to do that, we'll let you live. They gave him a first chance. He says, no way. I know whom I believed. And persuaded he's able to keep that which I've committed on him against that day. I'm not doing it. They stuck him back in prison. Let him think on it a while. Let him suffer some more. They pull him out again. Give him another opportunity. He says, there's no way. I will not turn back on him who's so faithful to me. So they stick him back in prison again. Let him sit there a while. Suffer some more. Go without food. Make him cold. Take the, take the covers away. You know, sometimes in jail, they take the socks off. They don't even let him have socks. They, they want him to get cold and freeze. And so he's sitting there suffering. He knows. You only get three tries. So when they pull him out the third time, he knows this is it. So that's why he wrote the book of Second Timothy. He knew the end was here. So look what he says here. My first answer, this is the first time out. No man stood with me. He was all alone. But all men forsook me. I pray God that it will not be laid to their charge. He didn't have any backup, even from his own brethren. Notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me that by, my, uh, by me the preaching might be fully known that all the Gentiles might hear. And I was what? Delivered out of the mouth of the lion. He did not give in. He did not disobey. Even when the worst conditions were in front of him, he said, God delivered me out of the mouth of the lion. Amazing stuff. Satan never got the best of him. He hindered him often. He attacked him, but he never devoured him because Paul was faithful and loyal and obedient, and he, he did not fall prey. He was not a novice. That's why God chose him. He wasn't full of pride. He knew what he was. He was a killer of Christians. In his first, he, he had nothing to be proud about. God used him to change the world. And he, you know what? That last time, they took his head off. He was beheaded. And he died in Rome, not Peter. All right, just remember that. But Psalm 22:21 21 says, save me from the lion's mouth. For thou hast heard me from the horns of unicorns. What an amazing verse. I know I've got to, I've got to end here. But you know, if you, so if you're humble and true and you're vigilant and you're forgiving and you're just trying to be obedient, the devil will not get the best of you. He will not devour you. He will not take you down. They will never say it's over for so-and-so. They won't ever be able to say it. I'm sure that donkey was famous. Somebody took him home and rode him or her the rest of her life. It's life. You resist the devil, he will flee from you, right? A lot of easy prey out there. A lot of people fall and pray to all this stuff. They're easy targets. We sure just don't want to be. So, uh, be not one of them. Let me finish by saying we're real good at obeying the things we're good at obeying. You know, there's certain things in Christianity, we're just good at it. It doesn't even affect, I'm good at obeying in these parts. It's not even hard. But there's some areas I struggle with. Those are the ones you need to try to get uh, remedied the best you can. The easy commands. Okay? So the areas that you're vulnerable in, they're very dangerous for us. That's where you'll get caught. That's where you'll get caught, just like this man of God. So you got to learn to be alert, vigilant, fearful of God. Interesting. If you're afraid of God, don't be afraid of the devil. You know, nowhere in the Bible does it say fear the enemy, fear the devil, even though he can devour you. God doesn't say to fear him. He says resist him. He'll flee from you. You fear God. Keep his commandments. This is the whole duty of man. Last verse in Ecclesiastes. If you'll do that, you'll still be praising God throughout all your life. And in old age, you're still being used and you're flourishing. And the devil can't get the best of you. So this preacher killer taking down many. Some people I know. I could tell you some sad stories about it. We don't want it happening to us the layman the fellow worker the woman who works for God you know we do, we have an enemy we're in a war here we're in a war here obedience is the very best way to keep the devil out of your life amen